and a good day in South Dakota. I, uh, I got up before breakfast. You always try to get up before breakfast. And I did, I, I did my exercise. I went on the elliptical for an hour. And then I uh, put my laundry in. And then I had lunch with the preacher. And then I went to Mount Rushmore. Never been to Mount Rushmore before. I asked several people about it, and they said, ah, just drive by it. <laughs> That's what they said. If you, if you drive by, you've seen it. But I, I went up into the parking ramp and walked up and took pictures of the Avenue of Flags. And uh, I asked, why did he pick those four presidents? Anybody know why? Come tomorrow night. I'll tell you why the artist picked those four presidents. They represented different eras, he felt, in American history. Uh, uh, Washington, the founder of our nation. Jefferson, the Louisiana Purchase. Lincoln, the Civil War, freeing the slaves. And then Roosevelt, the Panama Canal, opening the United States as a worldwide power. So that was the deal about that. And I enjoyed the gentle South Dakota breezes just (laughs) gently riffling through my hair. (laughs) It was, it was wonderful. I think it's worse in Wyoming. I, I do think, I think they get it worse in Wyoming. Well, I wanted to preach something else tonight. The Lord has continually impressed me to go to Hebrews chapter 12. So if you'd go there with me, it doesn't really fit your theme, but it is in the Bible. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man can see the Lord. I used to think that meant that if I don't have peace and holiness, I won't see God. I won't be able to communicate with him. But I really believe it means if I don't demonstrate peace and holiness in my life, no one will see the Lord in me. Unhappy, upset, carnal Christians never show Jesus to anybody. Looking diligently... It's a big deal. Pay attention. It says, look diligently, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being this wonderful church. Thank you for the faithful preacher that you put here, his good wife and children. And Lord, thank you for the faithful people who for some for many years and some more recently have entered in together in a labor to get the gospel to this community. Lord, the best I know, I'm where you want me to be in your word tonight. I pray you'd use it for your intended purpose. I do not know how you wish to use it. I could not know the burdens and needs of every person here. And if I did, I couldn't address them. But you can, and I trust you to do that tonight. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to make four statements, and then I'm going to give three points to the sermon. But when I say point number three, don't put your shoes on. <laughs> now, that's a southern thing. People in the ladies in the south take their shoes off in church, but probably not as wise to do it at least this time of the year in South Dakota. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to take mine off. I, I bought a pair of odor eaters one time. I put my shoes on and I, I disappeared. <laughs> I did have somebody tell me tonight I smelled good. You, you see, you have to look good or smell good, and I only have one option. So 
Bye-bye, good cologne. Statement number one, everyone has been hurt. It is impossible, but the defenses should come. Not the same way, not to the same degree, but everybody's been hurt. Statement number two, these hurts can turn to bitterness. Bitterness is a hurt you hang on to. It isn't the degree of the hurt, the intensity of the hurt. It's how long you hang on to it and how hard it is for you to let it go. It determines whether it becomes bitterness or not. Statement number three, God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you. Now, we say grace is unmerited favor. We say grace is God riches at Christ's expense. All right, but think about it. If I, if I came by your house and I said, uh, uh, Brother Jones, could I please have a sandwich? And he gave me a sandwich. That would be unmerited favor. He doesn't owe me a sandwich. He does owe me for those books he stole last night, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> By the way, I should have said this. I'm out of uh, two of the five titles I brought. If you want anything that I run out of, if you will fill out one of the little cards there, you pay the regular price now, and I'll pay the postage and mail it to you, all right? So I don't want anybody to not have what they wanted to have. But if I came by to the Jones house and I took an ice pick and punctured the tires of all his vehicles, and then I poured gas or sand down the gas tanks, and then I uh, took wax and put it over all the screens and soap on the windows and kicked up the bushes and uh, let the dog loose, and then I knocked on the door and I said, I'm hungry, could I please have a sandwich? If he gave me a sandwich, then that would be grace. Grace is more than unmerited favor. Grace is favor given to those who have demerit. When God sent Jesus to die for us, we were his enemies. Now, that much I have preached for years. First book the Lord ever let me have put in print as a chapter in bitterness. And I talk about that and I'd say, you got a root of bitterness in your heart. It's a poison that you fed yourself. It's a cancer that eats you up from the inside out. Get it out. Get rid of the root of bitterness. And I'd preach and people come to the altar and they'd talk to the Lord. And it would work for a while. Then something would happen. The daughter would turn the same age the mother had been when a terrible event took place in the life of that mom. an anniversary of an awful event. Somebody had been out of your life, come back in, and all those thoughts and feelings and hurts would come roiling back up to the surface and they'd say it didn't work. I thought I dealt with it. I thought I got rid of it. But it's still there. So here's statement number four. I saw something when I studied this passage a few years ago. Our theme was looking into Jesus at our church. And so I preached through Hebrews chapter 12. And I came to this portion. I thought, well, this would be a good review. But when I studied it, I saw something I'd never seen before. Here's a freebie. If you hear a preacher preach and he tells you the Bible means something, you go, huh, I'd have never known it meant that if he hadn't said it. It's probably not true. I know there's some things in the Bible hard to be understood, but generally speaking, the Bible is written for our understanding. It's not the Da Vinci Code. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
But you hear a preacher preach and say, wow, I never saw that before, but that's what it says. It's probably true. So I saw something I'd never seen before. There is nothing in our text about removing the root of bitterness. Read it all you want. It's not there. A simple, plain reading of our passage will lead you to the assumption that the roots are always there and every once in a while they spring up. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest, if I fail of the grace of God, any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled. So here's statement number four. Dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the hurts spring up. See, in our 21st century society, we want quick fixes. We want a microwave, not an oven. We want a pill or surgery, not not some therapy. We, We want it to be taken care of right away. But in the Christian life, A lot of things are an exercise. In fact, the Bible plainly commands us to exercise ourselves unto godliness. I exercise. I always tell people that because no one would suspect so otherwise. (laughs) I do three to six hours a week on the elliptical. I'm getting so good at it, Brother Sullivan, I'm about to start moving the pedals. Now, here's the deal. I could exercise as hard as I possibly could any one time. And if you could measure everything about my physical fitness before and after, my heart rate and my blood pressure, my aerobic capacity, my cholesterol, all those things, it would be so little difference after one time exercising that you could hardly tell. If you have to choose between exercising once or never, choose never. I see some of you have. But if I exercise over and 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 over again, it has a positive effect. I can show you on my Fitbit. I have a, I have a good health. I'm a healthy fat man. I'm not as fat as I used to be, but I'm a healthy fat man. I have a low resting heart rate. My resting heart rate is usually in the mid-50s. I have low cholesterol. I have low IQ. <laughs> Dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the hurts spring up. So let's look at our text, and here's our outline. Number one, the Bible talks about roots, a root of bitterness. Now, a couple things about roots. Roots are covered. You've got some beautiful trees around here. They're by some tall pines on the way to Mount Rushmore. I've heard people compliment the leaves on a tree, the branches of a tree, the fruit of a tree, the blossom of a tree, even the bark on a tree, but I've never had anybody say, wow, look at the roots of that tree. They're covered. I don't see you tonight. I see the expression you choose to place on your face. Pretended interest. (laughs) Bored indifference. I don't see you covered. But these roots are not only covered, they're caustic. They're roots of bitterness. 
There's some experiences we have. There's some things that have happened to us. There's some people that the very mention or thought of them can make our mouths pucker up like we've been sucking on a lemon. They're bitter. These roots are covered. These roots are caustic. But the Bible says these roots come up. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now, I did not warn you there'd be a quiz, but you're a very intelligent bunch, and I think you'll do well. Just two questions on tonight's quiz. Question number one, if I squeezed an orange really hard, what would come out? Yes, very good. Question number two, why would orange juice come out of the orange if I squeezed it really hard? Because that's what's inside the orange. Brilliant people. If I squeezed it hard enough, could I get tomato juice out of it? If I squeeze it just right, could I get grapefruit juice out of it? No, I can't get anything out of it that's not in it. See, here's what we like to say. Well, I'm not really like that. That's not me. I was just in a bad place. Did you know that nobody ever hit their thumb with a hammer and said a bad word they had never heard? It can't come out of there if it's not in there. I heard about a young man who was preaching one of his early sermons. He'd worked hard, borrowed from a lot of other preachers, and he's preaching along, and there was an older lady sitting on the aisle about three years back, and she thought she recognized the source of some of his material, and she said, that's Charles Spurgeon. Well, it was, but he thought that was a little rude. He just kind of ignored her. A little while later, she said, that's D.L. Moody. This time he glared at her, figured that'd make her behave, didn't faze her. And then a little bit further, he's preached long. She said, that's Billy Sunday. And he'd had all he could take. He said, lady, would you shut up and let me finish his sermon? And she said, that's you. <laughs> yeah. Those unkind words in the car tonight. Those harsh statements we made to a family member. The fleshly reaction to an irritation of life. That's you. That's you. These roots are covered. They're caustic. They come up. But then notice in our text, the Bible tells us not only about roots of bitterness, it tells us about the result of bitterness. I find this extremely intriguing. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, what are the next two words? Trouble you. Well, wait a minute. Why do we hang on to things? Well, I'll tell you, because that was so terrible, it doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That person should never be let off the hook for what they did. But the Bible says it doesn't trouble them. It troubles you. I was in college. There's a preacher friend of my dad whose son was also in the college. The young man was not in my life. He wasn't a friend. He wasn't an enemy. He, he just wasn't in my life. One day my dad came to me and said, son, this young man's dad told him that you said you hated his guts and wanted to punch his face in. I said, dad, I never said that. And my dad said, well, son, you need to make it right. 
I said, Dad, why should I make it right? I didn't do anything wrong. Hoping for a little support there, aren't right? <laughs> Hey, who is responsible to take the initiative when there's a problem between brothers? Is it the one who causes the offense or the one who takes offense? Which one? You're not doing so well on this quiz. Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus said, Therefore thou bringest thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar. First, go be reconciled to thy brother. I like it says, leave there thy gift before the altar. Don't stop tithing. Leave it at the altar. Be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and offer thy gift. So you have caused the offense. Your brother has ought against you. It may be reasonable, it may be fair, it may be unfair, it may be a mistake, but you're the issue. And the Bible says you go up and say, hey, I understand you're upset. I know you love the Lord and I must have done something to cause this. What can I do to make it right? But in Matthew chapter 18, the Lord Jesus says, if you have ought against your brother, go to him alone. Tell him his fault between he and thee. If he'll hear you, then you've won your brother. Now he says, if you're the one who's taken offense, you take the initiative to go to the person. Matthew 5, if you've caused the offense, you go to him and make it right. Matthew 18, if you've caused, if you've taken offense, you go to him and make it right. In other words, the Lord Jesus says, don't sit around trying to figure whose fault it is. Just get it taken care of. So I went to this young man. I said, my dad said that your dad said that you said that I said that I hated your guts and I wanted to punch your face in and I never said that. And you know what happened. The Spirit of God convicted him of his slander against me, burst into tears, fell into my arms. This is a rough crowd. Usually they don't laugh until I say he went into business, became very successful just last week, wrote me a check for $500,000, but... I didn't even get that far with y'all. <laughs> oh, you know what happened? He said, eh, it's okay. It's okay. You lied about me. Got me in trouble with my dad, and it's okay. Well, it didn't work, did it? I don't know. I honored my father. I obeyed the Bible. I had a clear conscience. Years went by. Got out of college when I was 20. I wasn't smart. They were just tired of me. I was a youth pastor for two years, and I went to Bridgeport 1975. Been there a few years, and we were trying to have a big day. We are trying to have 500 in attendance. First time in the history of church we'd ever had 500 in attendance. And this young man's dad had a singing group as part of his ministry, so I invited them to come and be in our church that Sunday. Now, there were about 13 or 14 people in the group, and we had 503 in attendance. So, preacher, a little tidbit, one way to have big days is to invite large groups. <laughs> we had a good time. We talked about our friends, where they're serving God, what was going on. A couple of weeks later, I got a note from the young man. Dear Brother Ouellette, I needed to write and confess to you that for all these years, I have harbored against you not bitterness. Here's another freebie. I have limited success helping bitter people see they are bitter. I'll go through the Bible. I'll say, here's what you said. Here's what the Bible says. looks to me like you have an issue with bitterness. And the normal response is, I'm not bitter. (laughs) Got it. Don't know how I could have made that mistake. 
He said, not bitterness, but a trace of resentment. I think that's Greek for bitterness, but hold on, I'm not sure. Now, here's the deal. All those years he harbored against me, that trace of resentment, it never bothered me once. <laughs> never kept me from enjoying a meal with a member of the church, taking my wife out on a date, going soul winning, preaching, serving God. No, no, it never bothered me. It bothered him. Bitterness is a poison you feed yourself. It is a cancer that eats you up from the inside out. And the first result is nothing to harm the person who caused your problem. It is difficulty for you. But here's the second result. The Bible says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Mm. Result number two is defilement for others. In our text, the Bible tells us about Esau. I believe as I studied this out, Esau is not particularly an example of a bitter person. He may have been bitter. But he's an example of one who is defiled by the bitterness of someone else, his mother. His mother had been promised that the younger, Jacob, that she loved, would serve the older Esau. They were twins, but Esau was born first. Esau was his daddy's favorite, and, and Esau was about to get the blessing, and, and she didn't want that to happen, and she didn't trust God to work it out, and so she had Jacob lie to his own father and deceive him and act like he was Esau. You read the Bible, you'll find out that Esau married the people he married because he saw that it displeased his parents. Defilement for others. I've been in churches, preacher, where a cloud covered everything. I could tell my funniest story, use my most touching illustration, preach my best sermon, and nothing pierced the darkness. And I stayed long enough to find out the preacher was bitter. He'd been hurt. What had happened to him was terrible. But it never stopped with him. It defiled others. You can't afford to stay bitter. It'll affect your children. It'll affect the Sunday school class you teach. It'll affect anybody that you try to disciple. It never stops with you. It always defiles somebody else. The results, difficulty for you, defilement for others. So what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is grace. Do good to people who deserve bad. It's all through the Bible. Don't render evil for evil, but rather a blessing. So how do you do that? Let me break it down. If you're going to give people good when they deserve bad, I'm going to suggest three things. Number one, you're going to have to have faith. Let me try a couple more questions. These are, these are yes or no questions, all right? Question number one. Is there a God? You're doing about as well as the Democrats did at the convention 12 or so years ago. Let me try that again. Is there a God? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. Did he promise to work all things together for good if you love him and are called according to his purpose? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Well, if you believe that, then you can be good to people who are bad. 
Joseph said that to his brothers. Oh, we love the phrase he said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. I love that too. But my favorite statement in the whole story, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he said, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. He said, you know what? God put me in the Potiphar's house and God put me in the prison and God put me in the palace. Did you know the worst your adversary can ever do to you is be the unwitting instrument of God to accomplish God's purpose? in your life did you know nobody can keep you from the will of God except you faith Roger Powell's our music director 12 years served on our staff his little daughter Jessica always wanted to be a missionary at times she was real little she was 7 years old my grandson Ethan turned 11 or turned 10 today he was born 11, 11, 11 and I talked to him on the phone a little bit. He said, Grandpa, ask me what I want to do when I grow up. I knew the answer. He told me this before. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a missionary to Afghanistan. And he said, he had never said this before. He said, and if they persecute me, I'll just run to Israel. <laughs> and then he said, maybe I'll drive. <laughs> Jessica always wanted to be a missionary. She was seven years old the night I walked in on a Wednesday and she gave me a big hug, and she said, Uncle Preacher, I'm going to God's country tonight. They're going to Georgia to be in a wedding. <laughs> they, they rented a van, and uh, the roads were clear, but they got down to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the overpass was icy. They weren't used to that phenomenon. The van kind of slid out of control and smacked against a guardrail. They were fine. Just bumps and bruises really didn't require any treatment. Except that Jessica, the window that she was by, had popped out when the van hit the guardrail, and she wasn't in her seatbelt. She was lying on the floor trying to rest, and she got thrown out that window, and she smashed to the pavement and died. Brother Paul called me. I ran down and picked him up, him and his wife and remaining children. In the car on the way back, he told me a story. He said the hospital chaplain came to talk to him. He didn't know the Bible as chaplain, but he'd been to chaplain school, and he said what the chaplains were supposed to say, and he said to Brother Powell, well, there are some things God can't help. Not my God. Amen. Our God sitteth in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he please. Yep. Yep, and then he said, but God wants to be there to help us through the things he can't help. And Brother Powell, in spite of the grief and the anguish of that awful event, looked into the eyes of that unsaved man, and he said, Mr., this was not an accident. This was an appointment. Faith. You say, what's good about that? I didn't say it was good. God didn't say it was good. God said he works it together for good. I know one good thing. Brother Powell wrote a tract about it, put Jessica's picture on the front. We print it at our church, and, and we printed thousands and thousands of those tracts. And people come from other churches and say, can I get some of the Jessica tracts? And I'm sure hundreds of people have been saved reading that tract. I know that we do every two years at our Christian school a big Pat's the Pirate place, a huge production scenery and a bunch of extra songs and costumes, really, really well done. That year was about Pat's the Pirate going to the jungle, being a missionary, so we dedicated it to Jessica, put her picture on the program. 
I gave the invitation, and a young man came over here and said, Preacher, I think God wants me to be a missionary. Rodney Rupert was his name. Behind him came Becky Swain. She said, I think God wants me to be a missionary. Rodney and Becky went off to Bible college. They graduated. They have been over 25 years in the land of Cambodia starting churches. Their son is our youth pastor. On September 22nd, I got to preach the sending service for another young couple going out of our church now in Cambodia, joining them. I don't know everything God was doing, but I know some things he was doing. Faith. I know Jessica said, Uncle Preacher, I'm going to God's country tonight. And she did. Second is forgiveness. The Bible says, In whom we have forgiveness by His grace, God's grace makes Him forgive us. I know you say you got to forgive and forget. And not really. Your mind is so constructed that you can never really forget anything. What is your name? Luke, I want you to forget your name. What is your name? Now, what process could he employ to forget his name? Forgive and forget. Parents gave you a bad name, want you to forgive and forget. You can't forget. Now, you can't always remember it when you want to. <laughs> like the old guy I heard about, his uh, buddy said, how you doing? He said, man, I'm doing better since I got this new medicine. Oh, he said, what are you taking? He said, oh, it's, um, he said, what's a flower? It's usually red, it's got thorns on it, smells pretty. Oh, he said, Rose, yeah, yeah. He said, hey, Rose, what's the name of that new medicine I'm taking? <laughs> Not as bad as the two old guys I heard about sitting on their rockers on the front porch and one of them turned to the other and said, I always forget, was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? <laughs> Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. You know what the Bible definition of forgiveness is? It's to cancel a debt. That's what it means. I borrowed $10 from Brother Torberson. I said, I'll pay you tomorrow. I see you tomorrow morning. He said, man, I'm sorry, I forgot. I'll catch you tomorrow at lunch. I said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I'll catch you at supper. I'm sorry, I forgot. I'll catch you at church. I'm sorry, I forgot. I'll catch you on Saturday night. Man, I'm sorry, I forgot. And after a while, he says, Brother Willette, I've got lots of money. <laughs> Y'all just really are a mistrusting crowd, <laughs> suspicious. And he said, I don't really need the $10. I'll just cancel the debt. Now, he could do that. He could also say, Brother Let the $10 isn't a big deal to me, but I do hope you'll pay it back because I'd like to think of you as an honorable man who keeps your word. He could do that. What he can't do is tell me he's canceling the debt and tell you that I owe him any money. Because once he forgives the debt, I don't owe him anything anymore. And once you forgive somebody, they don't owe you anything anymore. Bible says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, not even since, but even as. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That means in the same manner. The same, how does God forgive us? Well, he forgives us immediately. Amen. What instant a nation repents, Jeremiah 18, I'm going to withhold the punishment I planned for them. He forgives us completely. He doesn't forgive part of our sins. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all iniquity. 
and he forgives us permanently. He puts our sin behind his back as far as the east is from the west. He buries them under the deepest sea and he remembers them no more. Forgive. Heard about a man went to a marriage counselor. It's just a story because men never go to marriage counselors on their own because men have no problems that they acknowledge. But he went to the counselor, and the counselor said, what's the problem? He said, my wife. What's the problem with your wife? He said, my wife, every time we have a disagreement, she gets historical. He said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, no, I mean historical. Everything I've ever done gets brought up. (laughs) Do you know how short the argument would be if all you could talk about were those three muddy footprints on the kitchen floor? And not the 47 times before that he did the same thing. (laughs) Forgive. Third part of the remedy is to fight. All right, I'm ready for this one. Who do I get to punch? (laughs) The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing to Christ, bringing to captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. The battle for success or failure in your Christian life is fought and waged and won or lost in your mind. Whoever controls your mind controls you. So, Here's what I recommend. People like to talk about fighting the devil. My friend and, and uh, a bit of a mentor to me, Tom Malone, was telling a great story. He's riding the car and the devil is bothering him. He stopped the car. He opened the door. He said, this is my car. My name's on the title. I pay the notes. You get out. Great story, but not how you deal with the devil. When the Lord Jesus was tempted of the devil, he answered every temptation with Scripture. The only offensive piece of weaponry in a Christian's soldier's armament is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So here's what you do. You get a Bible verse that answers the issue you're dealing with, and every time that thought comes up, you quote the Word of God. Preacher can help you with the verse. He'll give you what you need. If you've got a question, you see him, he'll help you with that. And you have to quote it a thousand times a day. But after a while, I can't prove this is just what I think is going to happen. I think you'll find the same thing. You'll only quote it 500 times a day and then 200 times and then 100 times and 50 and not much at all because I think the devil will get tired of every time he tries to draw you from God, he runs you back closer to God, and after a while, he'll leave you alone. you got to fight. Every time the root springs up, you got to have grace all over again. you got to remind yourself that debt is canceled. That person owes you nothing. Heard about a young lady. She'd been attacked by a man and abused in the most awful manner imaginable. She went to her pastor and her pastor gave her really strange but very biblical advice. He said, well, the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Ouch. It does, but I don't know that's what I want to hear then. The Bible is such a practical book. It tells us precisely how to do it. It says, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. So you say good things about them, do good things 
to them and you pray for them. So she covenanted, that's what she'd do. Wouldn't say anything bad about that, look for something good to say. Maybe sent him anonymous gifts while he was in jail awaiting trial to meet his personal needs. And then she prayed, not for God to judge him, not for God to give him a long sentence, for God to save him. It didn't happen all at once. It was an exercise. But gradually the gloom dissipated, the cloud lifted. She went on, got married, had children, had a good life. Years later, she's in a grocery store. She walked around the end of an aisle, and she came face to face with that man. Served his time, released from prison. And she looked into his eyes, and she felt nothing. The word of God, faithfully applied over a long period of time, had given her victory. Everybody's been hurt. These hurts can turn to bitterness. God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. Dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the hurt springs up. Lord, please guide me as I extend the invitation. I trust that this is what you had for us for this night, not what I intended, but, but I believe what you intended. And so I trust you, Lord, to use it in each of our hearts. Help us to be open and responsive and receive gladly that seed from your word that's been given to us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I wonder who's here tonight. You say, Brother, well, that, I'm not perfect. I certainly think there are a lot of things I could improve on in my Christian life, but so far as I know, the Spirit of God didn't deal with me about anything in this area in my life tonight. God didn't bring up any incident, any individual. Didn't remind me of anything I need to respond to in grace all over again. As far as I know, in this area, in my life, things are right between me and God. If you can say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's good. A few of us, thank you. And thank you for being honest. Now, if we couldn't raise our hand, and thank you for being honest about that, that means God did deal with you. Would you do something a little different? God spoke to heart. There's already people at the altar. We're, I know we're supposed to stand and have music and all that, but why don't you come right now if God's dealt with you and find a place to do business with God? Would you do that? I think it's good to develop the habit of immediate obedience to the Spirit of God. Easy to put things off and not follow through. And Lord, I thank you for these who are coming and I ask you to continue to work in hearts. Have your way in every single life. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.